welcome everyone to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. Today, we're going to be talking about adopting siblings. But before we get started, friends don't let friends wander around in the dark in search of good information, and more importantly, in search of good podcasts. So I need you to be a friend, both to us, but most importantly, to all the other friends and people in your life, friends in your life, who need to know about the Creating a Family podcast. Most people find out about podcasting in general, and believe me, there are still people out in the world who don't even know what a podcast is. And, uh, but they find out about the idea of podcasting from others, mostly their friends and family. They also find out about specific podcasts to, to listen to. So do us a favor, let your friends and family know about podcasting. Tell them that, of course, that if they have an iPhone, it's already, an app is already built in. Otherwise, they can quickly and easily download a free one uh, to their phone and they can listen. The world will open up to them of any information they might want to know, including, make sure you mention this, the Creating a Family Talk About Adoption and Foster Care podcast. Do us a favor, we really would appreciate it. And thanks. Today, we're going to be talking about adopting siblings with Erin Nasmith. She is a licensed clinical social worker. She is the executive director and co-founder of the Adoption Support Alliance in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to Creating a Family. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about a topic that's really important, adopting siblings. We, we certainly, uh, it's, it's, more, it's becoming more and more common. It sure is. And thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, siblings are available for adoption in all types of adoption, uh, foster care, international, both the, the needs are huge there. It's rare in private domestic adoption. It does happen, uh, you know, twins. Uh, and also it does happen on occasion where a, a mom uh, makes a decision to relinquish the rights to her siblings and does it not through foster care. So it does happen. Uh, but most often in uh, international and foster care adoption. So we talk a lot about the importance, and I just mentioned that there is a huge need, particularly in those types, because those children in sibling groups wait longer because uh, we in the, in the child welfare world try to keep siblings together when placing, either for foster care or for adoption, for both. Uh, so why is it important? To keep, why do we care so much about trying to keep siblings together? Yeah, well, when you think about it, for all of us, um, our sibling relationships are often the longest relationships we have in our lives. You know, we are in relationship with our siblings sometimes longer than we are with our parents and longer than we are with our spouses. And so for all of us, those relationships can be really significant to um to our development and just to our, our ourselves as, as people to have those significant relationships in our lives. Um, and for kids who are in foster care, they experience trauma, foster care, or through international adoption, being able to maintain that connection is really important to be able to be connected to a biological family member. When it's not possible to be with a parent, a sibling is sort of the next next best thing. And we know that those those biological connections are important for them as they develop their sense of identity as they mature. Mm -hmm. and, and their sense of identity and also their sense of racial and cultural identity, um, because they would then be sharing uh, with a, they would be being raised with somebody from their both racial and cultural background. Yeah. 
That's right. That's right. And siblings who've experienced some of those traumas that oftentimes our kids have before they come home, um, you know, the bond is deep there. Anytime you've had a you've had a relationship with someone where you've been through something hard together, um, that the connection can be even stronger. And so for a lot of those kids, they share that sense of connection with their with their sibling because they've they've been together through really hard things. Um, and we know that kids who are placed through adoption, through, excuse me, through foster care or through international adoption have already experienced such great losses um, and hardships. And we don't, we in the child welfare community don't want to add to their sense of loss by um, disconnecting their relationship with their sibling. So as much as possible, um, as much as we are able to find families who are able to um, to support multiple children at once, um, it's it's a great, great service to these kids. So there are some advantages uh, that you just alluded to and some more for adopting siblings. One advantage, uh, I mentioned it at the beginning, is that you're fulfilling a need. Mm -hmm. uh, sibling groups are harder to place because honestly, not every family is equipped to care for siblings mm -hmm. uh, or equipped to grow, you know, by two, two or three or four kids at, at one right. time. So it yeah. fulfills a need. And then you just mentioned another advantage of the importance of keeping siblings together. What are some other advantages that you can think of to adopting siblings? Well, for, for people, for families who are really eager to parent and to have kids in their, in their, um, in their homes, there is, there can be a shorter wait time because um, because like we said, there's so many sibling groups available. Um, usually you don't have to wait as long to find an, a good match for your family. And so um, you can move into parenting more quickly than, um, than if you were adopting, potentially if you were adopting a single child. Um, there's also an advantage because kids come in together and they can help each other to adjust to being in a family, you know, they have somebody else who knows them well and who they're familiar with and helps them feel safe and that can help them as they're adjusting to their new new lives as me members of your family. Mm -hmm. And and for going back to um, an advantage from the parents standpoint is and you kind of you kind of mentioned this before, but a shorter wait, but it also it provides you with an instant family. I mean, if you've always said, okay, I want to be, I want to have two kids. And especially if you've waited a while through struggling through infertility or for whatever reason, marrying late or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you, you want two kids and rather than, uh, than do them one at a time, there is that, it kind of um, uh, scratches the itch, but that, I should also say could both be an advantage and a disadvantage because honestly, mm -hmm. adjusting to a rapid increase in family size, it puts strain uh, on a family okay. and on your marital relationship and other things. So that uh, the instant family thing, I always want to caution people because sometimes that there, that almost seems a little too e it, that people's vision of it may be a little uh, they paint it a little rosier than the reality. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll have my family. I'll be done without acknowledging yes. some of the downside. <laughs> yes, that's right. It would be nice if the, if the advantage, if many things in life are kind of a balance like that, right? There's not, it's not just purely an advantage. So I think there are advantages to, to your point, but um, there, there's a, it's a balancing act too that it, it adds some challenges there too. Not insurmountable, but just things that families should be prepared for as they're going into adopting a sibling group. Yeah, exactly. So let's actually talk about some of the 
special issues, as we'll call them, to consider. Um, some of the struggles that families might, they need to be prepared for, is what I would say. Um, one of the struggles is forming an attachment with both children separately. So there's a couple of ways that can play out uh, in families. One way is the children continue to maintain their primary attachment to each other rather than forming additional attachments uh, to their parents. So let's talk a little about that and, and, and how that might affect both the children and the parents in the family unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, you know, siblings come in with already this established relationship, they trust each other, they know each other. And because they have someone else that they can rely on and is familiar to them, their motivation, if you will, to attaching to a, an adult um, might be uh, lower than it would be if they were a single child and didn't have, you know, didn't have a sibling there with them. Um, in addition, you think about these kids who've experienced um, the loss of biological care, biological parents and previous caregivers. Adults aren't necessarily the most trustworthy people in their experience, and so um, it might feel safer and um, they might feel more comfortable relating to a child than they do to an adult because in their experience, adults are are temporary and aren't sticking around for them. And so, again, it keeps their, um, it, it just makes the, um, the connection with another child to feel more, more comfortable for them. Okay. And we're going to come to some suggestions on what parents can do in, in just a moment. Another way this, uh, this issue can play out is a parent who feels more connected to one child in the sibling group than than to another to the other child or other children in that group. So thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think one thing to remember is that um, there are some parts of that that feel that is a very natural and sort of expected experience that you might connect with one child over the other. You know, they're they're coming in with personalities and. Um, temperaments and experiences that have shaped them already. And it's natural that you might feel more of a connection and more in common with one child over the other. So I think the first thing is for parents to not um, feel guilty about that and not to feel like something is wrong with them or that they're not parenting well, but to acknowledge that that is that has been their experience and that they're going to work harder to, you know, make some connections with the child that might be more difficult for them to connect with. Um, you know, I think sometimes we think as, as parents really in lots of forms of adoption that, um, that we will uh, have this instant connection with our kids. And I think for sometimes that's true. Parents have that instant connection, but for some parents, it takes a little bit more time. And I think being patient with yourself on that, remembering that this is another person um, and that in any relationship you have with another person, um, it takes some time to get to know them and, and to have those, those bonding experiences. So to just be patient with yourself is that if you do feel yourself attaching to one child over the other, um, I think that's the first, first step is to acknowledge it and be patient as you're, as you're developing those relationships. And let me add to as, as the parent of, of children who are older now, I've, I have noticed that that sense of con connectivity does shift with different children as they age. 
So keeping that in mind, to take some of the guilt and the pressure off of yourself to realize that that, that relationship, uh, who you feel more connected to, um, shifts as our children age. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I think another thing, true. yeah, uh, another um, another way that this plays out is kind of the the reverse, and that is a child connecting to one parent over the other. This happens mm-hmm. in any number of ways, but it's certainly well known in international adoption, particularly on the trips, the travel trips back. It is it is just it's almost it's almost more common than not, uh, but it also mm-hmm. happens in any time we're adopting a child past infancy, really. Yeah, I think that's true. And often you will see that um, the child may be more uh, understanding the context that the child is coming from and what their abuse history is like can help you sort of predict who will feel safer to them. So it, you know, in, inter- in an international adoption, for example, if many of the caregivers in the orphanage setting were female, then co- a connection with a father figure, a male adult, might feel really strange and uncomfortable for the child because they haven't had that kind of experience. Um, and so they might bond more quickly with mom over dad um, because that is who they're more familiar with. Um, but in an, on the other hand, a, a f- a child who maybe experienced a lot of abuse from their uh, father figure previously, their biological father, um, they might feel more um, more fearful. I should have, well, I should have said the other way around. Let's say they experienced abuse from their mother um, and their mother was a single parent and was, you know, let's say using drugs or alcohol and was not consistent. The adoptive mother might feel scary to them because because their mother figure has not been consistent and trustworthy in the past. And so they might feel more comfortable bonding with, with their father, adoptive father. And so just thinking about the child's experiences prior to coming to the home can help you have some expectations about where the attachment might be more difficult for the child. And again, recognizing that that is a very natural um natural relationship building for the child and that there's nothing wrong with that. In some ways it is a protection and helps them to be safe. Um, But then to just to recognize that that's where it is, to acknowledge that that is where the child is, and then to make some intentional efforts to build relationships, um, build stronger relationships with the parent that maybe is having a little bit of a harder time connecting. So yeah, let's talk some about tips that would do with all of these forming attachments, whether it's the child to the parent, the parent to the child or whatever. Uh, And the one tip you just mentioned is the intentionality, Um, making individual time with the child, either the child that you're not uh, feeling as attached to, or the child that's uh, not as feeling as attached to you, creating Mm -hmm. dates, and letting that parent be the one who gets to do more of the fun stuff. Uh, if story yeah. time at bedtime is a fun, then that. If taking a bath is fun, then that parent gets to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just looking for opportunities. And it doesn't even have to be, when we say individual dates uh, with air quotes around it, it can even be something about going to the grocery store. You know, we may think, that's oh, true. gosh, going to the grocery store. But for our kids, uh, that's not necessarily a, a, a dreadful thing particularly if, if mm-hmm. you go into it with the attitude that we're going to, I'm going to enjoy this time with this child. So mm-hmm. yeah, looking for opportunities to uh, find time with that particular child and, and make it as enjoyable as possible. So other, any other tips you can think of? 
Yeah, I think anytime you can find that individual time, it doesn't necessarily matter what the activity is, as long as you're kind of, you're recognizing that you're spending focused um, attention, focused time with that one child. And sometimes the activity like grocery shopping or, um, you know, as you parent older kids, I'm sure you're aware of this too, being in the car, just being in the car together can Mm -hmm. be some of the best conversations that you can have um, because that, um, the whatever activity is in front of you or staring out the front window kind of helps you to not feel as um, put on, helps the kid not to feel as put on the spot to bond. You know, Mm -hmm. one thing to say, let's sit and look, gaze into each other's eyes as we build this (laughs) attachment that doesn't feel quite as natural, but um, to help them to feel safe um, as you are providing those bonding experiences is, is really good. And, and you know, I think sometimes giving the children a sense of control over that. So, you know, offering um, three or four choices that you are willing to do with the child and then letting them have some say um, in what the activity looks like or how you spend your time together can be good. Um, these kids you know, often don't feel a sense of control over their lives. And anytime you can give them some choices um, about what happens next for them helps them to feel more control, more re- relaxed, which um, in turn helps them prime them for, for good attachment experiences and positive relation rena- relational interactions with you as a parent. Mm-hmm. Let me pause here and remind people that this show is underwritten by the Jockey Bean Family Foundation. Jockey Bean Family is committed to providing support to families nationwide to help these forever families become lasting places of love. Your support is vital to their success. Please visit them at jockeybeingfamily.com to see how you can support and impact families nationwide. And let me also add that they have had to cancel their largest fundraiser this year. It's a large gala that they do. And they, uh, like others, have had to cancel that. And uh, so your support at this time is particularly appreciated. Another issue that comes up, we've talked about the forming attachments at different levels between the parent and the child. Uh, Another issue that comes up is something it has a fancy name, but it actually makes so much sense when you think about the name makes it so is so appropriate. And we call it the parentified child. What do we mean by that term? Um, a parentified child is a child who has been in a position previously where they have been uh, a caregiver in their family, often for siblings in their family. Um, so they were the ones who um, fixed dinner or gave bottles to younger children or had to ensure the safety and, um, you know, get get siblings dressed in the morning, make sure they were at school on time. Um, they were really the parent in the situation. Um, and a lot of time for these kids that they're taking on the role of the parentified child meant that, um, that they were surviving and that their siblings were surviving. So it really was a strength sure. for them that they um, took on this this role. But you can imagine as they transition into a healthier family, a more stable family situation that um, a 10-year-old who is trying to parent, for example, um, might not fit very well into the expectations that the adoptive parents have about how a 10-year-old might interact with the family and with their siblings. 
So what they have learned previously doesn't doesn't match what the expectations are in in your adoptive family. It's also a lot of responsibility. Let's use mm -hmm. your example of a ten year old. A ten year old is not really meant to be taking on the responsibility of survival and and care and nurturing of the eight year old and the six year old. That's right. Um, and it's a huge amount of of responsibility. And, and let me also mention that. It, it very often the children have the parentified child has not only taken over the role of parenting their younger siblings, but also their parents. Mm -hmm. They're often put in the role of making sure that you know uh, there's food for mom and dad, or when mom and uh, when mom comes home drunk or whatever, that they cover them up and you know put a pillow under mm -hmm. their head, or that. And sometimes parents treat their uh, again, using your example of a 10 year old, telling them things that are really sharing details uh, of their either their worries or their dating life or whatever, uh, as, as if this child is a is a peer and equal as opposed to a child. So all of those can can uh, can happen uh, and, and very often do happen. Um, in fact, I would say it's common. Yes, and I threw out the name, the age of 10, but that's probably even, I mean, that might be a little bit more expected, but we definitely see parentified children as, you know, much younger than that too, um, when you wouldn't expect we them to take do. on those responsibilities um, that mm -hmm. maybe a 10-year-old would more naturally take on. But yes, it can happen very, very young for these kids. We're talking even preschoolers mm -hmm. uh, who are having a much younger, uh, uh, we're just preschoolers who are taking, it can happen at any age. That's exactly. Right. right. All right. Let's give parents some tips for uh, what to do. This is incredibly common in sibling, in sibling groups. Usually, although not always, uh, I can think of some distinct examples that don't fit this, but uh, usually we see it in the eldest girl, but again, not always. So uh, I'll start. One tip is to, at, at the beginning, a sibling unit comes into your household and you see that one of the children has the role of parent, is, is the caretaker for the other or others. Uh, at the beginning, I think it helps to set clear boundaries and help the children by defining the roles mm -hmm. of who the parents are and what, the, what in our house, the parents do this and the children can do this. So state it clearly that mom and dad are responsible, what we're responsible for in our home and then what the kids are responsible for. So not, not assuming that these children are going to naturally understand and play by the, the rules that we think are normal because as you pointed out, Becoming the parent in a household is what helped them survive. That's right. uh, it also often is a way that the child has, has begun to uh, identify themselves. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's a sense of pride. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so what other uh, tips can you think of for uh, parents who are now uh, parenting a parent, That's a right. parentified child? And I, I mean, I, I think part of it is you're saying set the clear boundaries for all, all of the children in the household. And then I think to, to really take a special, pay special attention to that caregiver, to the actual parentified child, to really get an understanding of what that what it was like for them as they were caring for their siblings, what kinds of things that they were in charge of. Um, uh, and, and 
acknowledging to them and reflecting their feelings about it probably feels weird now to give up that control because you've been doing it. You've That's been your job and you've done it really well for so long. And so it, we know it's going to be hard for you to trust us to do that for your siblings, but that we are really, um, that's what we that's our job as your mom and your dad is to be in charge and to take responsibility for your siblings so that you don't have to have that that responsibility. And so I think just kind of being, just acknowledging it and, and putting it out there and making sure that that parentified child feels seen for the job that they have done and acknowledged for that um, might help them to to release those, those roles a little bit more easily. Um, over time. But um, yeah, so just to continue to talk with them about how hard that is, I think will be helpful mm -hmm. for them. And, and we've talked about the situation where children are uh, adopted or placed for foster care with their siblings. But a particularly worrisome it for parentified children is if they're placed apart. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, the child that you, your, your sibling, who you have taken care of, is now no longer living with you. So you're not able to take care of that child. So, I mean, what does that do to a child who is now, they are no longer able to protect the child and their goal in life has been to protect and care for their sibling. Yeah, their anxiety and worry probably shoots way up. Um, and they, they might even worry about that sibling more than they're worried about their own well-being in that, that moment. And so I think if that's, that's true and your child has siblings that are not placed with you, it's really important for the parent to carve out time for the siblings to connect with one another, whether that's, you know, on the phone or we know how to do virtual meetings right now um, and virtual conversations. And so just helping to reassure them, give them evidence that their child, their sibling is being taken care of well in the family that they're in and um, helping them to have ways to connect and reassure themselves about that. And again, just to continue to reflect what they're feeling, you know, it's okay. I know you're worried about your sibling and I know it's hard for you to not be with them um, and, and to kind of sit with them in the sadness of that, because it is, it is very much a sad um, transition for the, for the child who's, which is why to go back to how we started and um, why it, it's so, it, can be wonderful for families who are equipped to do so to take on sibling groups because um, then those connections don't have to be lost for the child. Mm -hmm. a, uh, another tip is uh, plan on this being a gradual transition mm -hmm. from the child being the parent to becoming the sibling. You know, honestly, it's taken a while for this relationship to be created. And going in realizing it's not going to change overnight. It's going to take a while to change back to a healthier sibling relationship. Mm -hmm. So give your so don't expect anything to happen immediately. Uh, take the long road of where you know progress, not perfection. That was my my parenting mantra: progress, not perfection. In this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, any other tips that you can think of? Yeah, you can use your um, that child, the parentified child's knowledge to the advantage of the whole family. So as you're as you're talking to them about their feelings related to it, you can you can also get some really helpful information for you as a parent, um, as well as to help your child feel uh, the parentified child feel respected and important in the family. So saying, you know, I know that you were the one who made dinner 
it, you know, at night. So tell me, what does your what does your brother like to eat for dinner? Or when they're crying or upset, what could be some things that I could do to help him or her? And um, then the parentified child will have a role, which is to, you know, to help mom and dad. And that kind of helps as a, as a, in the gradual nature of the change um, for them to, to be a, a, a sense of information, a source of information for the parent, um, and then sort of training the parent how to parent so that they can feel more comfortable with relinquishing that, that role because they know that their parent is well prepared. Um, it's just sort of, it's like scaffolding to help the, um, the parentified child release a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Would scaffolding also work with allowing some of the uh, lesser, some of the smaller responsibilities for that child, the parentified child, to continue if they want to? Would that also be part of scaffolding? Yes, I think that would be a great, a great tip is finding some places where they can help because it is, you know, and it is a very natural experience in a family if you are an older sibling that you are helping your parents with some responsibilities of the younger child, but just to make sure that they don't feel that they know that the ultimate um, the ultimate source, source of safety and security comes from mom and dad. So, um, you know, we're talking about things like, can you grab a snack for your sibling from the pantry? Or um, could you help, could you stand next to your sibling as they're brushing their teeth and you're brushing your teeth so that there's sort of smaller things that feel more, um, more typical for a family um, with siblings in it. You know, and, and we're, we're talking about parentified children in, in a, in, as if it is a negative. And of course, it, I think it ultimately is to the child who has taken on the responsibility. But the truth is, these kids are amazingly competent. That's right. I mean, to think that they have, from a very young age, taken on huge responsibilities. And they, they may not have done it the way uh, an adult would have done it, but it, it takes it takes tenacity, it takes creativity, it takes perseverance. Um, as all of us parents know, that's what it takes to be a parent. Yes. And when you are a child doing it, it takes all those in spades. So it's a, it really, it's a, it it makes a, it makes it. So these kids are very competent. Mm -hmm. How can we play off of that to help our kids? Yeah, I think for you to 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 share that in ways that your child can overhear you, um, tell friends and family members all of the things that they did to keep um, keep their their siblings safe and to keep them protected, and that that will help to build their own confidence, the parentified child's confidence in their ability to um, take responsibility for things and follow through and. Um, consider other people. I mean, all of those are strengths that we um, want to build in our children. And then to try to find ways for those strengths to be applied to more age-appropriate activities. So, you know, that the parentified child probably has a great deal of leadership skills. And so um, taking those skills and putting them into Girl Scouts, for example, or a sports team, places where they can lead and consider others and even care for others in, in um, service opportunities or that sort of thing, but in a more age-appropriate way to where the, they're getting their needs met in that, their developmental needs, and not just their siblings' developmental needs. 
So um, getting them involved in activities where that they enjoy and where they can shine and develop even more confidence um, that is built upon those 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 um, those skills they develop prior to being in your home. And the more busy, the more involved your kid is in in with children their own age, the less time, just from a practical standpoint, right. the less time they have to be parenting their younger sibling. Mm -hmm. I know of a, a family, going back to what you had said before about using those skills outside, the, it, this, in this case, it was the older girl, and she had uh, taken on the role of parent to two younger siblings, and it, from, well, really from their birth, honestly, she had been more or less their parent. And she liked to cook. Now, when she never cooked for them, um, but she would pour cereal and make sandwiches and stuff like that. But in her mind, that was cooking. And so the parents, uh, her new parents played on that and they started, she started cooking with the mom and then they, they enrolled the mom and her enrolled in a cooking class to get, well, it's actually a baking class. And then they started decorating cakes. So they turned that, uh, and I use the word skill loosely because she <laughs> was not actually preparing much food. I mean, she was preparing food. They were sustenance was going into her younger siblings, but she thought of it as cooking mm -hmm. and she thought of herself as a competent mm -hmm. cook. And so, and she could pour, you know, a mean bowl of cereal. Yeah. And so they, she actually is now she's, um, in her, she's actually, uh, Gosh, she's probably maybe even in college. I'm not sure. Uh, she's definitely in high school. And she is, is a very competent, uh, particularly baker. That's, where, yeah, she is, that's uh, where she's found her niche. Yeah, That's a wonderful example. Um, and, the, and I think that's true for many of our kids that we bring into families from hard situations that they really do have re really um, significant strengths that come from those hard things. And just being able to your role as a parent is to see that into them and to kind of cultivate that in a way that is helps it to grow um, in an age appropriate way. So yeah, that's a wonderful example. We all need to feel competent mm -hmm. at something mm -hmm. and finding an area for all of our kids to uh, develop competency is we could do nothing better for their, their self-esteem and, and, and going back to tips for, uh, children, uh, parentified children, obviously, uh, keeping your kids in therapy. Yeah, that's good for the parentified child It's good for the siblings. And family therapy is good for parents, mm -hmm. as well, the whole, the whole unit needs to to patiently um, move this, the whole family unit needs to move in a, in a, in a healthier direction. And that will take, and that will take time. Mm -hmm. And it helps to remember that this child is behaving in a manner, even though it may be annoying you and it may feel threatening to you, it's also important to understand that sometimes your reaction might be that you feel that your your role is being usurped by this child. That's right. Yeah. But recognizing that this is normal for him mm -hmm. and it's usually out of both fear and, and a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And reaching out for that kind of professional help is really a sign of strength for the parent. You know, you're you're most of the time, this is the first time that you have adopted a sibling group. And so um, to, to recognize that there are ways that you can grow and learn in that and that there are professionals who have learned from other people's experience and from research and from their understanding of child development. You don't have to do that on your own. You can you can engage with a professional who can really help you to feel more successful 
you as a parent as well as your child in the family setting. So yeah, use those supports um, when you need to. It's a sign of strength. Absolutely, and we have a uh, resource for finding family, uh, finding therapists that are uh, specialized in these issues, specialized in adoption and foster care, and the psychological issues that children often have who are coming to us from abuse, neglect, and trauma. We have uh, on our A to Z at our website, creatingafamily.org, hover over the word adoption, click on adoption topics. And then we have a whole list of things, including if you scroll to the uh, adoptive parenting section, we have a, an entire resource page on adoption therapy. And in it, we include links to various ways you can find therapists who have had additional training and specialize in adoption. And I think that's a great place, great place to begin. Let me pause and remind everyone that this show is brought to you with the support of our partner agencies. And these agencies are believe in our mission of providing post, pre and post adoption education and support and continuing it throughout the entire life of the family. Uh, and they believe in it. And what I always say is they put their money where their mouth is. They, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I believe in post-adoption and pre-adoption education. Uh, but it's another thing to say that I'm willing to support you with my finances. And our partner agencies are, are agencies that have done that. One such partner is Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited international adoption agency placing children from Armenia, Bulgaria, Croatia, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and they also specialize in placement of children with Down syndrome as well as other special needs. They also do a lot of international kinship adoptions. Another one of our partner agencies is Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption, and they also do embryo donation and adoption throughout the United States. They provide home studies and post-adoption support. In addition to all that, they provide those home studies and post-adoption support to families in Texas. All right, so we're talking about special issues uh, directly relevant to adopting siblings. And we've talked about the, where, where the, the attachment doesn't feel even either. The parent is not attaching to both children or, or uh, the parent attaches to one child over another, or we've talked about where the child isn't attaching to one parent over the other. So kind of general attachment issues is one uh, special consideration with we sometimes see with siblings. Uh, where one child, another special issue that is very common is when one child has become the parent of another child, and we call that a parentified child. Uh, another special issue that I want to talk about is how to overcome unhealthy dynamics that have developed in the past. Oftentimes, sibling groups come to us from dysfunctional families. In fact, I would say that's the vast majority of the time, mm -hmm. or from orphanage situations, which are also would be a dysfunctional family in that sense, because it's not a family. So sometimes we have uh, dynamics and relationships within the sibling unit that, that are just not healthy. One of those that we, we see is where one child has been the favorite in the past, uh, in the past either in, in the orphanage or, or in the foster care or in their biological family. So 
how do parents deal with that? I mean, because that's unhealthy for both the favorite child as ob- and obviously the non-favorite child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, yes, it can lead to some pretty unhealthy dynamics. Um, I think anytime you get a new placement, and I and this is even more true with siblings, I think, because they offer different perspectives, but that the uh, adoptive parent can act as a sort of detective in those early stages and really trying to understand what the dynamics were like for the children um, prior to coming to their home so that they can really get a sense for what they're, what they're dealing with and what, how those dynamics have played out for the children previously. I think that will help families to get a better sense of how to make changes to make, to help the siblings sort of heal from those dynamics and recognize what areas they can um, enhance in their own family life to, to offset those kinds of dynamics that they've established previously. Mm -hmm. So just to gather Mm -hmm. as much information as they can about what the the family life was like before um, and trying to understand what the the children's um, perceptions are and what their cognitions are around what it means to be in a family and who I am as part of a family so that you can kind of suss out where that that favoritism or um, unfair treatment might have been might have been playing out for them. And there are other negative sibling uh, interactions, uh, tattling where one ch- it's, it's been it's been rewarded in the past mm-hmm. to 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 uh, rat out your sibling it, it, for minor things that don't don't need to be done mm-hmm. or sibling rivalry. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, sibling rivalry happens anyway, but but it's more acute sometimes in families where there truly isn't enough enough attention, enough food, enough time, enough anything. So how did how can parents deal with some of those? negative sibling interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, I speak from personal experience when I say that, that sibling rivalry stuff can be really, it can really wear on a parent to have to manage those interactions all the time. So um, just to say, um, when you feel challenged by that, that that is a universal experience of parenting. So welcome to it. Um, but, <laughs> and, and, but I would, I would say that, um, you know, in those cases, uh, parents might need to be doing some coaching um, to help the siblings to form a more healthy attachment to one another as well, to recognize that, um, to recognize strengths in each other and to have some positive interactions with each other. Because if they were seen as, if they view themselves as, as rivals for one another from their previous family dynamics, um, parents might need to make some conscious efforts to help them to feel more connected and to enjoy one another so that they will be, um, you know, in the end, so that they will be less um, combative in those moments and that they will be thinking about their sibling um, the way that we want them to as a as a precious, supportive relationship in their lives for a long time and that they're, that you as parents are sort of trying to set the foundation for that lifelong relationship between the two of them. So sometimes you do have to kind of take some step back and help them work on those relationships um, to set yourself up for success and for the rivalry to decrease a little bit. And I think as in terms of the behavioral intervention, um, you know, sometimes it, it's, you know, you will learn what things that 
um, you can ignore successfully or what things that you don't need to push yourself into the details of he said this or she said that, um, that you're, you know, you're teaching your children to take breaks from one another when they're starting to get on each other's nerves um, and, and taking some of those behavioral approaches so that they're not, um, so that the interactions don't escalate in the moment when they're getting frustrated with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, another issue that we see that is sometimes frustrating to parents, but it seems so normal, is that siblings may grieve or adjust differently, you know, because it's the reality is we all grieve differently and we all grieve at our own pace. But in particular, where I think that families get get tripped up is that one sibling may be really excited to be in your home and the other one may may not, may be really grieving the loss of their biological uh, family or uh, a foster, uh, their, their foster, the previous foster family or their the orphanage caretaker. And parents will sometimes say, well, gosh, you know, your, your brother is doing just fine, you know, you know, get with the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it, giving, giving grace and understanding that we all process grief and that moving into your home is a big plus, but it's also a big change. And it also involves a lot of loss. Mm-hmm. And so giving our kids some, a little bit of uh, space and grace to grieve at their own pace. And one method uh, and one way of grieving and one speed of grieving is not necessarily better than another. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Siblings have a lot of things in common in terms of their history and their biology, but they are still very much individuals. And so for a parent to take the time to really consider who they are as an individual and what they need as an individual is really important. Yeah, that's so true. We, we tend to think, well, they've, you know, had the same mom and same mother and father, mm-hmm. you know, same biology, same gene. Right. Oh, as any of us who have had children who have come from the same mother and father can tell you, including biological children. Yeah. <laughs> that is can, not that true. Is, that they will turn that's out. right. It can be night and day different, can't they? They certainly can mm-hmm. be. Uh, all right. So now let's talk about some tips for parents who are considering or wanting to adopt or foster a, a sibling group. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You want to, you want to jump with the first one about so what's a tip that you can think of for parents who are thinking about uh, the, the, the adopting a, or fostering a sibling group? Yeah. Well, I think that you, um, our audience is doing the first thing that I would recommend for sure. And that is educating yourself about what it's like to adopt a sibling group. Um, I think having realistic expectations is sort of half the battle in terms of doing this successfully. And so the more you can hear from other people who have done it, the more you can learn from professionals about what helps, um, the more prepared you're going to be and the more equipped you're going to feel and confident you're going to feel as you go into any challenges that you might face bringing home a sibling group. Something that I see more often than I would like and that is families who really want a specific age child. Very often it is a younger child and they adopt a sibling group on some level because an example would be there is an infant, uh, but there is a three-year-old uh, and they're, they're going to be placed together. And what they really want is to parent the infant. And then now yeah. they've got this two or three-year-old. And mm-hmm. I think it is so it is just, it is unfair to both children unless you are 100% committed to adopting them both. 
-hmm. and so the implications are are significant uh, to to both children. If you are if you're really wanting one child of the, of a specific age, and the only reason that you're accepting a sibling group is because that's the fastest, or you're being told perhaps even the only way you're going to get uh, the the age you really want. Think yeah. really hard and analyze your uh, your motivation carefully, because that is a setup for failure, and it Absolutely. is a failure for both children anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I tell families all the time as we're doing um, the home study process is that as you are deciding the parameters for placement for yourself and your family, this is really not the time to feel like. Um, you should say yes to things because um, it, you know, because you people expect you to say yes, or you feel like a better person if you say yes, or well, how could you, how could you say no to a three-year-old sibling? Um, and and you you really have to think about you are making these decisions for the the rest of your lives. These are these are decisions that impact the rest of your lives. And so um, bringing in a sibling is a, is a really big consideration and you need to be honest with yourself and with your your partner in parenting, um, your support system about why you want to take up on a sibling group um, in the in those initial stages because then you um, when things get hard, you won't go back to, well, I didn't really want this anyway, or why did I push myself into this when I wasn't ready or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to do that work on the front end is really helpful in the long term. We tell people this is your family, not a charity. And this mm-hmm. is not a time to be looking at I'm, I'm, I'm doing this from a charitable standpoint. Yeah. That's, okay. That's really any, cool. any, uh, yeah. what's another tip you would have for people who are considering uh, adopting uh, or fostering a sibling group? Yeah, I think um, it's really important that your the foundation of your family remains as strong as possible as you walk through this. And I think that's your, um, for most of us, or for many of us who are parenting uh, with a partner, that is our marriage and our relationship with the other adult in the home, that we are really keeping that relationship as the forefront and the foundation of the family life. So being on the same page in parenting sibling groups, um, making sure that you're talking to each other and making decisions away from the children um, so that you're presenting a unified front um, in your parenting with with um, those kids, that you're setting aside time, even though it is. It can be so difficult to do so, especially when you're managing multiple children, but that you're being planful about date nights and time away from your role as parents and um, taking time to connect with another, one another and remembering that you enjoy your partner. I think that's really important. Um, and that anytime you start to feel strain in your relationship, that again, that it's really a sign of strength to reach out for marital counseling or professional to help support you through that um, because it shows that you are really prioritizing what is so important to your health, um, your family's health long-term. Not only are you modeling those kinds of relationships for your kids because that is important, but your kids will also grow up and move out eventually, hopefully, mm-hmm. and you are left with that parent, right, for, 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 with that partner, <clears throat> excuse me, for many years after that. And mm-hmm. so um, 
you know, making sure that that stays a priority, um, even though it can be really easy for the kids to kind of take over and, and, and take all of your energy. You've got to carve out time for that relationship too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I couldn't agree with yeah. you more. Um, all right. Now we've talked about the impact of, of adopting siblings on the parents, but what about if you already have children in the family? There are already mm -hmm. children in the home and now you're bringing in two or three more kids or, or even larger. So let's talk mm -hmm. about integrating siblings with children already in the family. Any thoughts on, on how to go about doing that? Yeah, and I think this is usually, I mean, I think this can be pretty typical that you, when you have multiple kids already, you feel more equipped to parent multiple children. And so yeah, you might so be too. willing to, to do that a little bit more. And I think, um, just like I said, a lot of work goes into the preparation stage of things. And so if you have children already in your home that you're talking to them really early on about plans for the family to bring in um, additional children, um, I'm not saying that those children um, should have decision-making power necessarily, but that they should be kept informed about the long-term plans for the family and that they're given a chance to express some of their feelings or, you know, fears or questions um, about what that looks like for them um, and that it's really important to engage them as early as possible so that their expectations just like your expectations are are realistic um, as they are looking forward to siblings joining the family. Let me share that we have a section. Um, uh, everyone at Creating a Family seems to love children's literature. So we have a great uh, suggested book list. Again, hover over the word creatingafamily.org, hover over the word adoption, and there is a, uh, or foster either one. And there's a suggested books in integrating um, uh, explaining adoption to children already in the family. We have a whole section on that. And one really great way is to start getting some of these books and uh, start reading them to your kids because setting realistic expectations for parents is one thing, but you really need to set realistic expectations for, uh, for the children already in the home. Okay, another tip that you might have for integrating siblings, uh, a sibling adopted group with children already in the family. Yeah, I think just like we talked about the parentified child having um, being the expert in some ways that you can pull from, the children who are already in your family um, can be the expert on family life too. And they can really be um, feel a sense of importance and helpfulness as they, um, as you call on them to help the new children in your family get a sense for what family life is like. So talking to your kids about, you know, when this, when this new child comes, they're not going to know what kinds of things we eat for dinner, or they're not going to know what we do um, on Christmas morning or what we do on the weekends. And so we really need your help to, um, to help that child know what to expect and what's coming and things like um, where we keep the cereal in the morning or what the rules are around bedtime or our nighttime routines. I mean, you, you can call on your children to help them with that um, and that will help them feel more, um, more connected to the process of, of transitioning those kids into your family, help them feel um, you know, confident about their role in the family as well, which I think is really important during this transition. Mm -hmm. And it's not at all uncommon for the sibling group to bond to the children uh, in the family before they bond to the parents. Uh, mm -hmm. The existence yep. of children may 
you know, make them feel safer. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And again, and the siblings, the other children seem more consistent to them and, and safer because the adults, they haven't had those experiences with adults. So yes, mm -hmm. it can really, really help the transition in a positive way for, for kids coming in. An important, I think, tip to think about is to make certain with the newness of bringing in a couple of kids into your family, it's easy to overlook spending individual time with the kids already in the family. But and also in allowing some of the consistent, some of their same activities, it's easy to think, oh, gosh, you know, I don't have time to do dances or we're going to skip Little League and we're not going to mm -hmm. skip, we're going to skip dance for this season because we've got too much happening. We've got too much to adjust to. And, and I think that we need to reconsider, yes, it is going to make your life hectic, but it's important for the children already in the family to have their life disrupted as little as possible and as far as their routines and their and their habits and things such as mm -hmm. that. Yes, I, th I think that's true. And I think also preparing yourself again, it's all about expectations. There are going to be moments where bringing a sibling group into your family is going to are that is going to be hard for your children in moments. Um, there, it is true that there will be less attention given to them and that they're going to have moments of jealousy and they might have to share a room or, um, you know, there, there will be real um, concrete ways that their life shifts. Yeah, the new child may be tag along and they don't want it. Or the new child oh, may yes. act out in ways that are embarrassing <laughs> or mm -hmm. whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm, uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so um, to just know that those those moments are going to come and that they are going to be difficult and to acknowledge those with your child, children to say, I know this is really hard. I know this feels challenging. I know that you don't like having to share a room and that you might feel jealous sometimes. And to say, you know, I'm struggling with some hard feelings too sometimes. I recognize that our lives are different and just to acknowledge that change, but also to remember on the other hand that they are developing character and strengths in ways that they wouldn't have if they didn't have siblings in the family. So they're learning to compromise in real concrete ways. They're learning to share and be more flexible. Um, they're learning to consider others' needs above their own. And they're, they're having the opportunity to develop, again, a, a sibling relationship is so special. So they're having a chance to develop that with with another child, which is really important. And so just remembering in moments where it feels really difficult that there you are also growing your children in ways that are um, that are positive, even if it's through challenges that you are getting to those those positive positive moments. Mm -hmm. um, I think you should Absolutely. expect that it will be hard in moments and not um, I've had several experiences where where families, um, recognize that their biological sibling is experiencing some hardship as a result of the adoption, and then they'll use they can use that as an excuse to dissolve the adoption or to consider um, an out of home placement for the adoptive child. And um, I think your expectations need to be adjusted to recognize it is going to be hard for everybody in moments, um, but that there's also going to be strengths that come out of that. And so to persevere and push through those things. And to get the your biological siblings or children who have already been in the home the support that they might need um, professionally or with uh, you know an aunt or an uncle or a beloved neighbor or someone who can give them 
um, some additional attention, um, a break from the family if they need to in those moments that it feels really hard, but not to use that as a as an excuse to kind of give up on um, on pushing for the, the sibling group who's coming in. Like so many things, it's a it's a balancing act that can be difficult to to find, but um, but you can you can do it when you might need some support to get there, but you can do it. And, and I, I like your at the moment. Yes, this is. There are going to be moments that you're going to question your sanity. You're going to question the decision. You're going to probably question why you had kids of any sort to begin with. But that's um. And, but keeping in mind that there was a bigger goal at the beginning. And trying to keep that, and that's where coming back to setting realistic expectations uh, at the beginning, so you don't go in thinking it's all going to be rosy and you're going to be, you know, the Walton family or what's that's an old <laughs> that's an old analogy <laughs> that's an old reference, but uh, the Brady Bunch or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that's old too. Come to think of it, <laughs> uh, I guess that's saying something about my age. Anyway, uh, all of those, uh, but, but if you go in with the expectation that you're going to hit bumps, but that there are some positives that brought you to this decision and those positives are still there. I I should mention though, just briefly that there are times when it isn't a good idea to keep siblings together. We start with the premise that it, that it is a good idea, but when you have a a sibling that is threatening the safety of other children, uh, either physically, sexually, or some reason there, or if you've got pre-placement, but before a placement, there are times when caseworkers and social workers will make a decision to split up a sibling group because one of the kids has a really high level of need and they just can't find a family, unsafe behaviors, a medical need or something. And they aren't able to find a family that can meet both that child's high need as well as bringing in other children at the same time. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough position for social workers to be in. It does happen. And I'm not uh, I'm not not casting uh, uh, blame at all. I understand when mm-hmm. that happens, but uh, mm-hmm. we, it's the exception, perhaps not the rule. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Erin Nasmith, with talking with us today about adopting siblings. I I really appreciate your being here. Thanks. For those who would like more information about Erin and the Adoption Support Alliance, you can go to their website, adoptionsupportalliance.org. Keep in mind that the views expressed in this show are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family, our partners, or our underwriters. Also keep in mind that the information given is general advice to understand how it applies to your specific situation. You need to work with your adoption or foster care professional. Thank you for joining us today, guys, and I will see you next week.